Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of the Alternate Oscars. I'm your host, Gabe Warren, and with every episode, I, along with a special guest, will be celebrating and rewarding our favorite films of each year, starting in 1928 and going onwards. We'll discuss our brief thoughts on each film we nominate and comment on the actual Oscar year and some fun details on the ceremony. A few rules we always follow. We'll be strictly following the reminder list of eligible releases. Those can be found on the website and the Oscar goes to. The amount of categories will also go over time as to sort of tie into the Academy's evolution over time. My guest today is going to be Zeta Short, host of the 300 Passions podcast. Hi Zeta, it's such a, um, it's uh, so great to have you on this podcast. I'm really excited to talk about this year in particular. Oh, thank you very much. I'm really happy to come on and to talk about this very interesting year of awards history. Yeah. So um, first off, how are you doing tonight? How is your day been? Oh, it's gone well. I'm actually not in Auckland, which is where I usually live and work from as we record this. I'm down at my family orchard. So that's sort of fun. I managed to get a clearance to leave the city and I've been working on unclogging a water pump for the day. So it's been interesting. Nice. So, today we are going to be talking about the films of 1947, and I always start by asking this, what were your favorite films of this year that, from this year that were not eligible? This can be any film that was released in 1947, but was not on the reminder list of eligible releases for this ceremony, for whatever reason. Uh, Well, just looking through, I'm looking at Claudio's list, which is what I worked off of. Uh, I didn't notice any that jumped out at me as ones that hadn't been nominated. I'll admit that my viewing for the year was sort of limited to films that had been nominated for Academy Awards or films that I needed to see to fill out certain categories. So unfortunately, there's not really one that I could point to as an ineligible. I will admit that I was very happy to see that, well, I'm not pronouncing it correctly, but La Talente, which is a French production, which was, I believe, originally released in 1934, was eligible this year so that excited me at least there were all of these older films that were finally eligible for awards and so it is a shame that they were not honored yeah so that's interesting um i would like to mention um uh, the john steinbeck adaptation the pearl directed by emilio fernandez with a beautiful cinematography from uh, Gabriel Figueroa, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it's just a stunning piece of art. And I guess there's also Hans Richter's Dreams That Money Can Buy, which is interesting as a sort of experimental film. And I'm sure there are others that are just not coming to my mind right now, but yeah, those are the two I can think of at the moment. Hmm. Okay. 
so should we launch into yes. talking about nominations? So, I assume that um, you know how we uh, usually announce our nominees and winners by now. Yes, I do, but you could go through it for the listeners. Oh, of course. Um, so, as usual, we start with the last category, special effects, and with the first best picture. And we usually take turns announcing our nominees and winners with the guests going first. So, Zita, would you like to take it away, starting with special effects? Yes, this was one that I struggled to fill out, just because mm, when you look at the category today, you have all of these science fiction epics that they nominate, and so many blockbusters do feature copious use of special effects. And I think back in 1947, that wasn't really the case and I think it was more difficult to find blockbusters that used special effects as a selling point. So just looking through, my first choice for a nominee was The Bishop's Wife and I know this might seem like an odd one, again it's not a big sci-fi epic but it does feature a lot of scenes where let's say Cary Grant goes ice skating and there's clearly a body double but they've had to somehow attach Cary Grant's face to this ice skating body double. And the effect is sort of creepy, but it was so humorous to me that I couldn't not put it on the list. And then I also decided to go with Blythe Spirit, which did end up winning. And you can see why obviously it involves all of these supernatural elements. And so I, I couldn't leave it off the list. And then when I was filling out the rest of the category, I'll admit that so few of the films that I had seen actually featured special effects that I ended up just watching the ones that were nominated in order to fill it out. And I'll admit that I wasn't hugely impressed by some of them, but uh, I did end up going with Green Dolphin Street, which was interesting to me if only because it's one of those Hollywood films that is set in New Zealand, my home country. So that was sort of funny to watch. And then there was also Unconquered, which again, didn't really interest me, but at least it featured Paulette Goddard. So that was sort of where I was. And then ultimately I decided to fill it out with Kiss of Death, which does feature a couple of effects here and there, not super special effects heavy, but I needed to get through the category. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so, interesting uh, choice of nominees, and it is true that we think of special effects very differently from um, uh, nowadays. Like, nowadays we might think of, oh, the CGI and the Academy prefers practical effects and they shun the Marvel films and we typically think of that, but yeah, back then it was more, I guess you could say it was more practical effects, but my nominees were Black Narcissus, The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, A Matter of Life and Death, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, and Unconquered.
okay, I haven't seen The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. That was one of those ones that I didn't quite get around to, but I have seen the Ben Stiller remake, at least. Uh, yeah, I guess it is worth watching if you're a fan of Danny Kay. Um, and just a ra random tidbit, I just remember that um, scene from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation where <laughs> uh, uh, Chevy Chase, his character, Clark Griswold, uh, mentioned we're going to have the hap hap happiest um, Christmas celebration since Bing Crosby danced with Danny Kay. And I just, um, at this point, I'm more like uh, choosing between the two, Danny Kay easily. Bing Crosby sucks. Just a minor tangent. <laughs> oh, hmm. No, I really dislike some of Bing's screen performances, but he's so good in The Country Girl that I can almost forgive not seen that, going though. my way. Oh, he's excellent in it. Ah, uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that movie, though. Mm. So next we have Best Film Editing. Yes, so for this one I had a much easier time, and you will notice that I'm not a big fan of Spreading the Wealth. There are a couple of films that I really love, and I gave them 12... 13 nominations, a lot of nominations. So in this category, I had Black Narcissus, La Talente, Great Expectations, Possessed, and The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. Interesting. I have Brute Force, Nightmare Alley, Odd Man Out, Out of the Past, and This Happy Breed. Hmm. Well, so far, there's not a whole lot of crossover between our nominations, but I was surprised by the fact that I did end up, sorry, <clears throat> going with some of the Academy's choices when I didn't expect to. But I was reminded of the fact as I went through that the nominees for some categories or the eligible choices were quite thin, especially something like Best Original Screenplay, which we'll get to, where I was just going through trying to find a film that wasn't adapted from a short story or a novel or wasn't a remake of another film, and it was very difficult. Mm. We'll get to that. But next we have Best Makeup. Yes, and this was another category where I felt like I had a pretty easy time. I know that today it's typically applied to either a costume drama like Marie Antoinette, where you have all of this elaborate historical makeup work, or it's a horror movie where they've done some really impressive effects work, basically, on a person's face and body. But... I just decided to go with movies where women looked quite glamorous because that's what I like. So I went with Black Narcissus, Great Expectations, The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, Possessed, and then Crossfire, mostly for Gloria Graham's makeup work. Very impressive. Um, 
So my nominees were A Double Life, Great Expectations, Ivan the Terrible Part 1, A Matter of Life and Death, and Mujer Verdu. Oh, that's an interesting pronunciation of the title of, well, I can't say it correctly, but you're teaching me some French, so that's good. Uh, um, I'm not an expert, I just, uh, that's just one part that, oh, I probably pronounce it that way. Um, and with Ivan the Terrible, um, part one, I learned that it was eligible mainly by looking through um, Owen Daly's list because they um, also do similar lists on Letterboxd and looking on their list for 1947 and learning about Ivan the Turbo that way. It was a real surprise for me. Hmm. Yes, I seemingly wasn't aware of the fact that that one was eligible this year. It must have just slipped through the cracks when I was looking through the list, but yeah, really good film. So it's nice that you're giving it a couple of nominations. Yeah. Next we have Best Costume Design. Yes, and this was a fun one. Again, I do like movies where women are dressed nicely, but I did think there were several options here where you could say, no, they're not just pretty gowns. They do serve a purpose within the film and they help to elucidate certain themes. So I went with Black Narcissus and you could say, yes, there are a lot of uh, nuns' habits. That's not the most creative thing in the world. It's not like the costume designers had free reign to design anything they wanted for Deborah Carr. But I do think you notice, especially in that flashback sequence where she's getting dressed up, they've designed this really beautiful costume for her. So I couldn't overlook that one. And then you also have great expectations. And yes, I do sound like a snob nominating all of these British historical costume dramas, but it's sort of undeniable that they have really nice clothing in these films. And then even The Bishop's Wife, which might seem like an odd choice, but I do think that Loretta Young has some really cute outfits and I really liked those. And then I also ended up going with, and this is a film that I don't like very much, The Paradine Case from Alfred Hitchcock, which I don't think works in any regard but it does feature some great costume work especially Ethel Barrymore gets to wear some great outfits and her character is being abused and she has all sorts of emotional trauma that she's dealing with but you also go wow she looks really good and then finally the ghost and Mrs Muir and it's not the most glamorous Jean Tierney movie that I've ever seen, but she always wore great outfits and knew how to serve as a great coat hanger, basically. And she just looks incredible throughout the movie. So I couldn't overlook that one. Yes, those are all interesting selections and. I just love that list, but my nominees are Black Narcissus, The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, Great Expectations, 
Lord and possessed. Yes, I did consider going with possessed, which people might end up noticing was probably my favorite of the year. But then I thought back on it. And while I do think that Joan Crawford does wear some great outfits, I don't know if it stood out enough for me. And perhaps that's an unfair protestation, but it did it didn't really catch my eye in the way that it should have. At least I felt. Fair enough. Um, I just want to mention Lord for being um, an early Douglas Sirk movie starring Lucille Ball. And I think that if you're um, a fan of either artist, either um, Lucille Ball or Douglas Sirk. This one is an interesting watch. So mm. next we have Best Art Direction. Yes, great. So I ended up going with Black Narcissus, of course, everybody can understand that. And then Monsieur Verdoux, Morning Becomes Electra, which is another film that I don't love that I don't think works, but I know there are a lot of people who see it as a very admirable failure from all of the people involved. And I can see what they're saying when I look at the art direction. I think that the movie, unlike other play adaptations of the time, does have a very, very clear directive in terms of the way that it wants to look and there are definitely times when it reminds you of a film noir and so I did appreciate the fact that even though most of the film is set inside and you just have Rosalind Russell yelling at people for three hours I do think the visuals really pop and then Daisy Kenyon my other beloved Joan Crawford film and then Possessed of course. Yeah, those are all fine choices. I went with Black Narcissus, The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, Great Expectations, A Matter of Life and Death, and Out of the Past. Yes, I briefly considered putting Out of the Past on my list, and then oddly, Morning Becomes Electra pushed it out, and I'm not entirely sure how that happened. One is definitely a better movie than the other, but I suppose I just admired Morning Becomes Electra too much. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, Morning Becomes Electra, I could see a great film being made out of it, but I just felt like it sort of felt a bit too indulgent. Like it, like maybe it shouldn't have been as long as it was. And there was just something about it where it just didn't click. I could see what everyone was going for. I can't say it was like a complete disaster. I gave it three stars on Letterboxd, but. It oh, I dislike work. most of it. 
no, I, I definitely see it as ultimately a failure and a bad film that can be very difficult to watch in parts. But I sort of have to admire films that, despite not working as a whole, contain elements that are really impressive. And yeah, I find myself thinking of the person working on this production who did seem to have a genuine inspiration behind what they were doing and who did see a way for this film to be more interesting than it ended up being. And so I want to give them credit for making it out alive in a way and getting through the production experience and creating something good, even though they were working on this production that totally got out of hand and failed. Yeah, fair enough. So next we have Best Color Cinematography. And this was another one that reminded me of the fact that it was really difficult to fill out certain categories back in the day because you would think color cinematography, easy. You have a whole lot of nominees that you could cover for that. But no, I was reminded of the fact that it was still considered expensive and fancy even to make a Technicolor production back in the day. And you do have all of these moody, highly artistic black and white thrillers. So it was difficult to pick out the good color films and Black Narcissus immediately went in there and became my de facto winner just because I couldn't think of anything else at that point. And then looking through the actual nominees, I noticed that Mother Wore Tights was one of them. And I watched a bit of that and it looked awful. And then you also had Life with Father, which I also didn't find to be particularly visually attractive. Yeah. So terrible use of Technicolor. Yes. They were definitely like they, they it was definitely like testing out like seeing what worked and it was like the growing pains of, the, of that time. Yes, so I, I ultimately ended up in a position where I just couldn't fill it out because all of the good movies that I was watching were black and white, all of the ones that I wanted to see to fill out other categories. And then I would have to scroll down this list and find some very obscure color film and in a lot of cases I either couldn't find them or I would find them and they featured terrible use of color cinematography so I end up with only one nominee I apologize I am violating the rules of the podcast oh that's that's fine that's fine like 1947 not a great year for color cinematography other than black narcissus uh, which is great yeah that that's totally fine, but I did end up. Um, I did, and I personally had to do a lot of searching for five films that I would consider worthy. But I I got there. Uh, my nominees were Black Narcissus, Desert Fury, A Matter of Life and Death, This Happy Breed, and Unconquered. Hmm. Okay. 
yes, I have to admit, I didn't love the color cinematography in Unconquered either, but I completely uh, understand it's so difficult to fill out this category. I mean, yeah, it's definitely like the gaudy, tacky, legitimately bad taste color cinematography that Cecil B. DeMille was going for. And I didn't, I, I didn't mind how it looked, or its time at least. Um, and then for the the other three besides Black Narcissus, I was far more passionate about because I felt they were a bit more artistic, I guess, in their usage of cin- color cinematography, especially in Matter of Life and Death. But there's also this happy breed uh, from David Lean, which uses uh, Technicolor for more realism as opposed to the escapism that uh, a lot of Hollywood glossy productions often use Technicolor for, and then Desert Fury, which is just sumptuous in color. Just the color just pops out. And you'd think it wouldn't work for a film noir, but it does, creating that uh, that sort of almost soap opera just melodramatic flourishes that uh, filmmakers like Douglas Sirk and Vincent Minnelli would really perfect in the 1950s. Or what Vincent Minnelli was already doing was something like The Clock. But yeah, I definitely like the look of Desert Fury. Hmm. And then if we move on to black and white cinematography, this was a far easier category to fill out. You have an embarrassment of riches on your hands. And I went with Possessed, of course, La Talente, and then Daisy Kenyon, which I know might be a controversial choice among some. I know I've heard criticisms of the use of black and white, and some have argued that the film should have been shot in colour, I don't really agree with those calls. I think the film works really well as a moody, depressing film noir that's constantly asking you to question the characters and their motives. And then Great Expectations, of course, that's sort of the traditional craftsmanship film of the bunch. And then finally, Out of the Past, of course, you can't look past it. Definitely not. So I went with Body and Soul, The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, Great Expectations, Odd Man Out, and Out of the Past. Well, there's some crossover here, and which one would you have winning? Which is your best of the category? Oh, well, um... Oh, do uh, we'll you do that our, at the end, uh, sorry. Yeah, we're announcing our winners after we announce all our nominees. That's okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, I did consider others, but these are the five that I settled on and felt, like, the most comfortable with. And just thinking about something like La Talante, I'll admit that even though I could have nominated it a lot of places, maybe I just have more of the mind of a traditional academy voter and it just kind of slipped past for me in favor of some more 
recent stuff. Mm. Apologies mm. if I disappoint you. <laughs> no, it's okay. I can see why that could happen. And then um, sound recording. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yes. So this was another interesting one where uh, I think the stereotype now is that I believe sound recording tends to go to war movies where people really like hearing the sound of gunshots and the sound of men stepping on gravel or traipsing through the mud and that sort of thing. And people criticize voters for picking films that all seem the same and there's too much uniformity in terms of the nominees in the category. And going back, I did notice that they also had an affection for war movies in the late 40s in this category. So I sort of wanted to deviate from that when I made my selections. And so because of that, I went with La Talente, which features incredible use of sound. It's just so atmospheric and you feel like you're really immersed in this environment. And anybody who's seen it will know that it's disturbing at times you're hearing this background noise where like the female protagonist you're not entirely sure if it's there if you're just imagining things it's just masterful and then other than that I think I had to go with Monsieur Verdu which perhaps isn't as creative in its use of sound but I still think there's a great modulation of some of the really loud moments, which mostly involve Martha Ray, and then I wouldn't call them quieter moments, but you do have a lot of use of whimsical sound effects that are meant to contrast with the very dark events happening on screen. And then you also have when Charlie Chaplin's character is committing a murder, you have this really interesting juxtaposition of really pleasant sounds with what he's doing. So I think that's great use of sound. And then you got to have possessed in there. And then oddly, I went with the bishop's wife, even though I'm not particularly affectionate towards it. I, I don't think it's a very good film. It's just sort of forgettable. But re-watching it, I did notice that the sound recording is pretty undeniably great. And then finally, a film that I don't think I've mentioned so far, Smash Up, The Story of a Woman, the sensational Susan Hayward vehicle. And this is a B-movie, but I do think it features top-line talent below the line, and they really put their all into this film. Yeah, um... Funny thing with Smash Up, like the first time I ever heard about it, I was expecting it to have something to do with boxing just because it has a has Smash Up in the title, and it was, and when I like learned more about it and eventually watched it, it's like, oh, um, so this is what it's about. But Susan Hayward's very good in it, and yeah, and. In regards to what you say about uh, uh, sound mixing, sound recording, there is a lot of, um, I guess there is a lot of um, bias uh, within the Academy in favor of war movies. And 
we as we've seen with hack with movies like Hacksaw Ridge and Dunkirk winning. Either that or um, Bohemian Rhapsody winning. <laughs> eh. But um, in regards to what I went with, I chose a lot of uh, film wars. Uh, my nominees were Body and Soul, Brute Force, Crossfire, Odd Man Out, and Out of the Past. Hmm. Hmm. Yes, those feature good use of sound recording and just sound in general. And yeah, I think the late 40s were a great time for the film noir genre and perhaps not a great time for the war movie genre because you do notice that a lot of the films seem very formulaic and do seem to have an element of government propaganda involved, which isn't great. Yeah, definitely not. A lot of war propaganda. You have your Sergeant Yorks, which didn't win sound recording. Um, That Hamilton woman won, thankfully. And then um, I guess some mothers that uh, we don't even remember. Uh, the story of G.I. Joe, they were expendable. I, I'm with you on these. I can't really get invested in most of them because uh, I, ju- I can just see what they are doing. And they just bore me after a while. Hmm. No, they mostly bore me from the beginning, which is unfortunate. War movies shouldn't have to be so dull, but uh, it doesn't seem like they were made by the most creative individuals back in the day. But you also had people like Howard Hawks and Willie Mae Wallman, and Willie Mae Wallman making these movies. Uh, Hawks made uh, Sergeant York and Air Force and Wallman made the story of G.I. Joe and it feels like these people are taking paychecks almost. I can see what you're saying when like Alan Dwan is directing Sands of Iwo Jima which is pretty terrible uh, but yeah not a great time. I do like Battleground though so I'll give Wallman that. Okay, yeah, and then in terms of best original song, which yes, we'll do next, song. this was another one where I was struggling to fill out the category just because, especially finding original music was difficult. You had a lot of movies that did use a song effectively, like The Man I Love, the Ida Lupino film noir melodrama, but that song was not written for the film and it was written back in 1924 so you can't nominate that even though it's very well used within the film so I ended up doing what I did in some other cases and just looking at the nominees that they put together and so I decided to watch all of them and then weed out the ones that I did not like so oddly I did end up liking You Do from Mother War Tights, even though I think that film is generally not great. 
and then past that peace pipe, which I surprisingly loved, I thought was a pretty good song. And I decided to remove Zippity Doodah from Song of the South for obvious reasons. It's a racist film and it's very difficult to watch from a modern perspective. And then The Perils of Pauline, which I expected to like more because it features Betty Hutton, who I do quite like, but then I wish I didn't love you so, I didn't love. And then I ended up sticking with a gal in Calico from The Time, The Place and The Girl, just because it was fine. So I ended up with three nominees in this category. And I have to admit, again, Best Original Song is one of those strange categories that doesn't quite work for me where I think today you end up with really odd films getting nominated just because they happen to feature a Diane Warren song or something you had that movie Alone Yet Not Alone the weird American Christian, Christian song film about which was then German immigrant removed. and then it got removed there was a whole controversy but <laughs> I'm just or, thinking how many yeah. Academy voters actually saw Alone Yet Not Alone. I think it was very few of them. So it's difficult to yeah. find the films that are eligible and to actually build up the nerve to watch any of them. And I can see an argument for this category if more original musicals were being made, if you were getting musicals written specifically for films. But in the case of most musicals, they are stage show successes. And then six years later, they get adapted into a film. And I know the new trend is to write an original song for the film. So you still get that nomination. But those songs tend to be bad. So it's really hard to find good original songs from films out there and I think the only time that you can point to when the category was really riding high was the 80s, where, yes, you get a lot of trash getting nominated. Flashdance and Mannequin are not masterpieces of the era, but they do feature really catchy pop tunes that people actually like, that they listen to, and that I would argue are fairly well integrated into the films that they appear in. And I think you just don't get that today, other than the James Bond themes, which tends to be a big deal. Who cares about Glory from Glory, which won a few years ago? Nobody uh, Glory knows about what you mean. songs. Oh, sorry. But yeah, um, I can see what you're saying there. Um, yeah. Oftentimes we do get um, some not so great winners, uh, like who remembers Three Coins in the Fountain, which won over the man that got away, and then um... well, the man that's got away isn't that great in the first place, so I don't feel that bad about another song triumphing over it. Um, we'll disagree there. Agree to disagree, but yeah. Um. Then there's writings on the wall. Like, who actually likes that song? Um, but yeah. 
it, it can be rough at points. Um, personally, I kind of struggled with this lineup coming up with five, but uh, I came up with, do you know what it means to miss New Orleans from New Orleans? I wish I didn't love you so from The Paris and Pauline. Life can be beautiful from Smash Up the Story of a Woman. Time After Time from It Happened in Brooklyn. And Zippity Doodah from Song of the South. What I did with uh, some of these... Oh, sorry, were you going to say something? No, it's fine. Go ahead. Okay. Um, what I did with uh, a lot of these nominees is... I didn't even watch the full movie. I just looked up the songs online and listen to them on, say, YouTube. Um, and that's how I heard, like, do you know what it means to miss New Orleans, and I wish I didn't love you so. And I ended up actually liking I wish I didn't love you so quite a bit. I, I think it's a lovely tune. And I guess I just struggled to find, like, four other songs I was hugely passionate about, which is why Zippity Doo Da makes it on here in part, even though the movie itself, Song of the South, is terrible for obvious reasons. And yeah, let's yeah, let's just leave it at that. So yeah, those are my five nominees. Mm. And now we can move on to best original score. Yes. And I'm excited to talk about this one. Hmm. So my nominees, which I'll admit I wasn't terribly creative with this category, I did sort of pick the obvious choices, but I did end up going with Out of the Past, Monsieur Vaudou, and then Miracle on 34th Street, which I suppose might not seem like an obvious choice. It is a film that I don't like, and yet I find the musical score to be sort of charming. And I think it actually brings the right spirit to the film and it has this pep that the rest of the film lacks. And then I also went with Boomerang, another movie that I don't love, but where I think the score is really good. And then finally, The Farmer's Daughter, a very mediocre rom-com that is sort of saved by the fact that all of its parts are so good. Yes, it's less than the sum of its parts, but when you're watching it, you can't help but go, wow, this is really well made. Fair enough points. Um, I didn't think too much about the scores for Miracle on 34th Street and Bumerang, even though I generally like both of those movies. But I can see what you're going. I can see what you're getting at with those um, films and their scores. Um, I went with Black Narcissus, Captain from Castile, The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, Odd Man Out, and Out of the Past. Hmm. I'm a big fan of Black Narcissus, but I can't say that the score was one of the elements of it that stood out to me it's not that I thought it was bad or anything but perhaps it was just overshadowed by other aspects of the production 
that's sort of how I felt about, um, uh, sort of how I felt about, uh, some of Mythos Rosa's scores this year, even though individually, um, they are really well, um, he does a very good job composing the scores, uh, that he did this year for Double Life and Brute Force and Desert Fury, but I don't really think about them, like, to the forefront when I think about those individual movies. I tend to think about other elements first hand. So he was a just miss um, for his work this year, as was Charlie Chaplin for his score for Monsieur Vaudou. And Captain from Castillo, I um, ultimately decided Alfred Newman, his score was just too good to leave out. Even though the movie is not that itself is not that good, Conquest is just a great uh, piece of work from him. And he gets that nomination for that piece alone. Hmm. So, next we have Best Cartoon Short Film. And... So this was an interesting one. I ended up going with the nominees that they put together because they were easy to find and I could watch them. And I'll admit, I assumed that I would see some of them and go, oh, not into this. This is poorly made. But no, I was really impressed by all of the ones that they went with. So those ended up being my nominees. I thought, fine, they made good choices in this category. I'm happy you should go with all of these. I can see why they were nominated. And it seems like this is, was one of the most consistent categories back in the day in terms of success in nominations. I can see that. So I went with Chippendale, Tubby the Tuba, and Tweety Pie. Those were my nominees. So, next we have Best Foreign Film. Yes, so I had quite an easy time with this one. I think people can probably predict at this point what my winner would be. But I had La Talente, Shushine, and then Carmen. Ah, I can see that. So, um, my nominees are Los Tres Garcia from Mexico. Guay des Orfebres from France and Snow Trail from Japan. Ah, the scandalous La Talente omission. But <laughs> I suppose uh, I can forgive it. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, uh, my rules are a bit different, but we can uh, we can let that slide because. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it's complicated, sorry. Um, uh, so next we have Best Adapted Screenplay. So this was an easy one to fill out, unlike the original screenplay category, which we'll get to, but I ended up going with Possessed, Daisy Kenyon, Black Narcissus, Great Expectations, and The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. 
I like those choices. I went with Black Narcissus, Nightmare Alley, Odd Man Alex, Out of the Past, and This Happy Breed. Hmm. Yes, you have This Happy Breed represented in quite a few categories. I have to admit that I'm less fond of it, but I do appreciate the effort to bring more recognition to one of the less popular David Lean films. Yeah, um, I ended up enjoying it even more than I expected it to. Uh, expected to. I didn't I wasn't quite sure what my expectations were, but yeah, even though I can see some of the criticisms, I just thought it succeeded on a level where Mrs. Miniver and Cavalcade failed, is how I put it. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know I'm a fan of Cavalcade. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, that's something we can disagree on, but I do know how you feel about Mrs. Miniver, though. Yes, I'm not particularly fond of it. And, oh, getting into the best original screenplay category, this was another one where I was a little bit lazy because, again, it was a real struggle to find films that weren't based on a short story or weren't based on or adapted from anything. So I went with Monsieur Verdoux, Body and Soul, A Double Life, Shoeshine, and The Bachelor and The Bobby Soxer, even though I don't like it that much. And the reason for that is that they were the ones that were nominated. So I could be sure of the fact that they were not based on anything else. Uh, um, so basically my roles for this category is anything with a motion picture story category, um, qualifies as an original, um, screenplay, if only because if you, like, tried to take those out, it's such a barren category, um, A Double Life is fine, I guess, I did not like The Bachelor and Bobby Soxer, um, so that was an easy miss, and what I was left with is Body and Soul, A Matter of Life and Death, Miracle on 34th Street, Monsieur Verdu, and Shine. Yes, well, at least there's overlap between our choices here, and it seems like we won't come to blows over any of the decisions that were made. I don't feel particularly strongly about any of the nominees in this category, even The Bachelor and The Bobby Soxer, which I dislike, does just make me shrug or yawn. It's not one of those films that really gets my fires going. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't think of the last movie that made me do that, just as of recently, but... Maybe that's a good thing. But anyways, next we're going to Best Supporting Actress. Yes. So I ended up going with Kathleen Byron in Black Narcissus, 
Gloria Graham in Crossfire, Celeste Holm in Gentleman's Agreement, who did win in the real world, Anne Revere in Body and Soul, and then Martha Ray in Monsieur Verdoux. Nice. I do like all of those nominees. And I did end up going with, um, in terms of my nominees, both Graham and Holm, and Ray and Byron, in addition to Kay Walsh for This Happy Breed. I did also consider Andrew Beer because I do think that she's better in the in body and soul than she's in gentleman's agreement. She gets a bit more to do. Yes. Gentleman's agreement is quite peculiar because you have all of these interesting things happening on the peripheries with somebody like Celeste Holm, who I think creates this really likable, bubbly character that you want to spend time with. But you're stuck with Phil, who is not particularly nice, is super self-righteous, chooses to lecture a Jewish woman about the way that she views herself and just really oversteps his boundaries in every possible way. And so you just wonder, why are we not spending more time with, I believe her name is Karen? Is it Celeste Holmes' character? Uh, let me look that up. Like, they're not typing wrong at all. Um, Anne is her name. Anne Detry, right? Yeah, yeah. We'll talk more about that when we, um, when we get to the end, but yeah. Hmm. It's somehow less interesting than I would expect it to be, but, uh, yeah. So next we have Best Supporting Actor. Yes. So I went with Van Heflin in Possessed, Robert Ryan in Crossfire, John Garfield in Gentleman's Agreement, Kirk Douglas in Out of the Past, and Robert Young in Crossfire. Interesting selection of nominees. I am surprised you didn't go with Raymond Massey. Um, just knowing how much you love Possessed, but I assume you came close, at least. But my nominees Don't are Robert Ryan. The category, actually. Ah, oh, yes. Ah, oh, yes. Um, so my nominees are Robert Ryan for Crossfire, Finlay Curry for Great Expectations, Richard Widmark for Kiss of Death, Edmund Gwen for Miracle on 34th Street, and Jean Lockhart for Miracle on 34th Street. Ah, uh, you like Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's... See, that's, so, that's another thing we can come to blows with. Like, we've been mm -hmm. mostly good so far, and and just... <laughs> yeah. And then I... I consider, like, 
Sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, I was just going to say that I did consider, like, Kirk Douglas. He's really good in Out of Past. And then I liked Arthur Kennedy and um, Boomerang. And then considering the two actors, Robert Newton and F.J. McCormick from Odd Man Out. But these were the five most I settled on. But next we have Best Leading Actress. And which I'm sure will come up with a better, more interesting lineup than what was actually put together. Yes, so it was an interesting year. I think if I had my way and the Academy didn't have their stupid rule about not nominating one actor for two roles in the same category, you would have Joan Crawford being double nominated for both Possessed and Daisy Kenyon but because I can only limit myself to one, she gets a nomination for Possessed. And then in terms of the rest of the category, you have Deborah Carr for Black Narcissus, Dita Palo for La Talente, Jean Tierney for The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, and then Jane Greer for Out of the Past. Nice. I do like all of those nominees. So, my nominees are Deborah Carr in Black Narcissus, Claire Trevor in Born to Kill, Joan Crawford for Daisy Kenyon, Jean Tierney for The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, and Jane Greer in Out of the Past. Well, we agree on some of them. I think we'll end up having different winners, but let's see. Maybe something could change between now and then. Yeah, I think, uh, if I'm not wrong, I think it's a four to five overlap between us. Yes, which is unusual. But next we have Best Leading Actor, in which we have the task of, going up, of making better choices overall than the Academy. Yes, which is fairly easy for this year. I don't think they put together an all-timer of a lineup, but yeah. we had Robert Mitchum in Out of the Past, Henry Fonda in Daisy Kenyon, Raymond Massey in Possessed, John Garfield in Body and Soul, and Joseph Cotton in The Farmer's Daughter. Interesting selection of nominees. Um... I'm not sure if I consider The Farmer's Daughter one of Cotton's better performances, but I know you're a big fan of um, Joseph Cotton, so I can understand that nomination. And the others, um, I think I'm very fond of as a whole. Oh, good. I'm glad. So... My nominees are John Garfield for Body and Soul, Rex Harrison for The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, Tyrone Power in Nightmare Alley, James Mason and Odd Man Out, and Robert Mitchum for Out of the Past. Great. Well, we're both big Mitchum fans, it appears. Yeah. Um, I just want to ask you this quickly. Have you seen Odd Man Out? No, I haven't. So that was one that uh, I didn't have the time to see 
I put together a list of films that I really needed to see by the date that we planned to record the podcast and that was one that I just didn't get to for whatever reason but I am a big James Mason admirer so I assume that he would make an appearance if I had seen the film but I didn't want to be dishonest and go with something that I hadn't even seen yeah yeah definitely not that and I like, yeah, yeah, I can definitely see what you're saying. But, yeah, and with Rex Harrison, Tyrone Power, I'm um, not typically, usually I'm not typically wild about either of these actors, but they're actually both very good in these mov- in these respective movies. Like Nightmare Alley gives Tyrone Power an opportunity to show his range and... I think Rex Harrison's very particular style of acting is actually well used here in The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, in which he plays uh, sort of a character that, in which the movie acknowledges, is kind of a dick. But he also makes him charming in a way that he's the opposite of charming in My Fair Lady, in which... I just wanted him to be off the screen the whole time because he was just that repulsive. Well, that's interesting. I will be interested to see if that film makes an appearance in the top two. Well, I shouldn't identify them as the top two categories, but the, they are two of the biggest well, categories of the awards night. Yes. Speaking of which, let's move on to Best Director. Mm. Yes, so this was another one that was easy to fill out for me. So I had Curtis Bernhardt for Possessed, Jean Vigo for La Talente, Powell and Pressburger for Black Narcissus, Otto Preminger for Daisy Canyon, and David Lean for Great Expectations. I did expect Great Expectations and um, Possessed to make lots of uh, appearances on your ballot. And I'm happy to see them there. So my nominees are Michael Powell, member Pressburger for Black Narcissus, Carol Reed for Odd Man Out, Jacques Tournier for Odd of the Past, uh, Vittorio De Sica for Shoe Shine, and David Lean for This Happy Breed. Well, we both have Lean nominated just for different pictures. Yeah, and I did have some others I was considering, like, uh, honestly, Ellie Kazan would have been more deserving for Boomerang than he was for Gentleman's Agreement, and uh, I guess um, George Seaton, I guess, would have been fine choice for me, but I was a snob and pushed him out for Vittorio De Sica, the art house director, if you will. So next we have the big one, best picture. Yes, and for this one, again, I knew exactly what I wanted to go with. So I had Possessed, Black Narcissus, 
La Talente, Great Expectations, and Monsieur Verdoux. Very nice. So um, I went with Black Narcissus, Miracle on 34th Street, Odd Man Out, Out of the Past, and This Happy Breed. Hmm. Well, again, we both have our favorites, and I think that they are well represented across all of the categories. Neither of us are really for spreading the wealth that much. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, I guess I've realized that. I am sort of fixated on a certain couple of movies, just depending on how I feel. And I have occasionally tried to make an effort to, like, give a couple of more individual nominations just for individual elements of movies that I really admired on some level or another. But yeah. Hmm. I'm happy that we settled with what we had. Yes. So. After these messages we'll be right back. After these messages we'll be right back. We'll be right back. Yeah. After these messages, we'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Now it's time to announce our winners. Ah, okay. Do you want to go first? In this case, we could do a role reversal. Um, sure, I guess. Okay. Um, my winner for best special effects is Black Narcissus. What is yours? So, <laughs> my winner, rather surprisingly, is Unconquered, even though I'm not a big fan of the film itself. Uh, um, I guess if Black Narcissus wasn't in this, um, well, no, because a matter of life and death would still be there and that would win, but yeah, for me, it's just the two Powell and Pressburger movies and the other three. Like, those are so innovative that I can't look past that. No, I understand. So next we have best film... Yeah. So next we have best film editing where my winner is This Happy Breed. And my winner is Great Expectations. Both David Lean movies, edited by Jack Harris. Mm. So next we have Best Makeup, or my winner is Great Expectations. Yes, and then my winner, and I really had to deliberate over this one in a way that I didn't really expect to, but I did end up going with Possessed, of course.
which is a good choice, I would say. And next we have best costume design, where my winner is Great Expectations. Hmm. Okay. And then you might be surprised, but I ended up selecting the same winner. I just think all of those gowns, you can't overlook that. Yeah. Um, fairly easy choice there if we're playing it traditionally. But yeah, deserving no matter what. So next we have Best Art Direction, where it should be no surprise, but my winner is Black Narcissus. Me too. We share the same winner in this one, and yeah. I think it's one of those ones where it's just an easy choice. You can see exactly why it should have won. Yeah. So next we have Best Color Cinematography, where I assume we both have the same winner pretty easily, Black Narcissus. Yes, we do. I also went with that one. And I think, again, just an easy choice, really, which would be difficult to look past it. Yes, and it's hard to look past any of Jack Cardiff's work with Talon Pressburger if we want to go there. Mm. And we'll... We will see that in the next episode. I'll just say that. So next we have Best Black and White Cinematography, where I chose to go with The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. Oh, that's an interesting choice. I chose to go with <laughs> La Talente, which I just think is gorgeous looking. Ah, that. That is a deserving winner. Mm. And I love that choice. So next we have Best Sound Recording, where I went with Out of the Past. And then unsurprisingly, given the fact that I raved about it, I went with La Talente. Nice. So next we have Best Original Song, Hmm. <laughs> what did you go with? Oh, yes, sorry. Um, I went with I Wish I Didn't Love You So from The Perils of Pauline. And uh, you might be shocked, but I also ended up going with that one. I know I hated the film. I know I was disappointed by Betty Hutton. And I, I did find myself questioning whether I wanted to put it on the ballot. But ultimately, it was such a weak category that it ended up winning out. Uh, um, I am more fond of the song than you, you are, clearly. So it won pretty easily for me. But I can see what you're saying there. But next we have Best Original Score, where I went with Odd Man Out. Okay, and then my decision was slightly more complicated. I didn't really have an easy one in mind here, but I ended up going with Miracle on 34th Street, about the only area in which I would 
rewarded. I guess. Um, well, but yeah, um, interesting choice. So next we have best cartoon short film. Mm. Um, where my winner is Tweety Pie. Oh. Mm. So I ended up going with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Mouse instead, but I can definitely see a defense for the winner that you selected. So next we have best foreign film. Yes, so what should you choose? Oh yeah, um, I went with Quides Orfebres from France, directed by Henry Jorge Clausotz. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Is Henri-Georges Clouseau? No? Oh, sorry. Uh <laughs> um, but yeah, that's my winner. Yes. And then, unsurprisingly, I went with La Talente, <laughs> which I think is would have been yeah. easy to tell. Yeah, pretty easy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the only reason I didn't include is that um, it wasn't a 1947 release, and per my own rules, um, I only go with foreign films that were released the year of the ceremony. But that would have been pretty easy for me if I did include that. Mm. So next we have Best Adapted Screenplay, where my winner is Odd Man Out. Ah, okay. And then in this case, I ended up going with Possessed. I adore. Ah, I like that choice. Um, so next we have Best Original Screenplay. Yes. And I went with Monsieur Verdu in this case. I think that was the one out of all of the original nominees that I liked most. Nice. So I went with Miracle on 34th Street. Mm. Interesting choice. Which I know you don't like, but... I just found it to be delightful when I watched it on Christmas ah. or back in December. Hmm. So I'm with the general consensus on that one. And then we get to best supporting actor, where I'm interested to hear who's your winner. Oh, you mean supporting oh, no, actress? Oh, yes. Sorry. You go with actress or actor. So, my winner here is Gloria Graham for Crossfire. Hmm. Yes, well, I did have her nominated, but for me, I think my ultimate winner would probably be Kathleen Byron in Black Narcissus. I know she's been criticized for being over the top and too horny, but uh, for me, it works. Yeah, um... 
I feel like that's uh, pretty much the consensus choice for like the be- the real best supporting actress of 1947 among some people. Hmm. Um, at least from what I've seen. Yeah. And I can definitely understand that. For me, Graham's presence in Crossfire just had me captivated the whole time she was on screen and it just felt right to me. But I'm glad with what you chose. Mm. So next we have Best Supporting Actor. Yes. And who did you select? And I went with Edmund Gwen from Miracle on 34th Street. Oh no. Chris. Chris. <laughs> yeah. Going um, to haunt your nightmares. Yes. And then I ended up selecting Robert Ryan in Crossfire. I think he's a really underappreciated actor, at least in modern times, and I think we should talk about him more. Yeah, he was... I I do get the sense that he was typecast a lot as villains, but he was very good at that, and you can see why he was cast like that. I mean, cast in those roles. And I think he's also excellent in the setup. Or... He plays the protagonist. And that's a great performance from him. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, next we have Best Leading Actress. Yes, exciting. So, who did you pick? I went with Deborah Carr for Black Narcissus. And I also love that performance, but... I think it couldn't really be anybody but Joan for me, so she does end up winning for Possess. Nice. So next we have Best Leading Actor, where I went with Robert Mitchum for Out of the Past. And having not seen um, The Night of the Hunter, that's the, the best performance I've seen from him so far. Yes, and I also end up giving him the win. I think he's excellent in that and fully earns the right to be considered the greatest film noir actor in history. So next we have Best Director, where I went with Carol Reed for Odd Man Out. Yes, that (laughs) was not one of my nominees, so of course we're going to end up with a different result here. And I went with Jean Vigo for La Talente. Nice. Very inspired choice. So next we have Best Picture. What did you go for? Yes, so I went with Odd Man Out. And then this was a real battle for me because it was my affection for Possessed was fighting against my admiration for Black Narcissus. And so ultimately, La Talente won out as the, the dark horse in that battle. And I really just think it's a singular piece of work. You can't really find many other films like it. And I just couldn't justify not giving it the top prize. 
Nice. All good choices. So, um, very briefly, do we want to talk about the actual Best Picture winner from this year, The Gentleman's sure. Agreement? So what are your thoughts? Um, it does not hold up. No. <laughs> and <laughs> everything the the biggest mistake is focusing on like uh, Phil and Kathy, uh, which is what I think of when I uh the term you used, champagne socialists. They are the ultimate champagne socialists, and um they're at these parties talking about big social changes without actually changing anything i think it's actually more than that because the the film itself is intended as a critique of champagne socialism and the issue that we're meant to have with kathy is that she is a champagne socialist and so that's fine that's a good critique to make of her behavior but then the issue is that the film seems unwilling to admit that phil is also a champagne socialist and perhaps isn't the right person to go around lecturing people about the discrimination that is faced by Jews. And all of this is exacerbated by the fact that you do have this Jewish supporting character just sort of lying around and not getting much to do. And so you keep wondering, well, if you could get John Garfield, who was a movie star at that point in time, why is he not the main character? And then it becomes pretty easy to understand that there was probably some anti-Semitism at play in the way that the film was written, and they decided, oh, well, the Gentiles in the audience probably won't want to watch a movie through the eyes of a Jew, so let's have the main character be this non-Jewish guy. Yeah, that um, that's my main problem with the movie is that it doesn't get across its critiques very well um especially with phil or it he's basically a machine to spout out a bunch of speeches and you have gregory peck who i think is relying too much on his baritone voice and it just kind of passes without making much impact I don't think it is poorly made on a production level. Yeah, it looks definitely not. And it has some pacing issues during the first 40 minutes, but I would say that it's always watchable. I do appreciate the fact that it's relatively short for a film of that type, and I don't think in its conception that it's necessarily wrong-headed. I think it's fine to make a film that really criticises the sort of upper-class individuals who want to appear to support liberal progressive causes without actually being willing to sacrifice anything for it. And that's a fine idea, but the film doesn't have the courage of its convictions, and so that's what ultimately ruins it. And I think looking back on it, it's not nearly as offensive as something like Pinky, which would come out two years later, which aims to tackle racism against African-Americans and features a very white actress playing an African-American woman who can pass for white. And that movie just has 
sorts of issues. I think this one you could at least point out that there are some ways in which it seems a little bit more subversive and it is going well it's attacking upper class people and their more subtle form of racism which you could say considering the fact that the members of the academy were all rich upper class types it is easier to argue that this film is a bit more brave in terms of going after that sort of person yeah um i can see that um so yeah, I, I agree with those general points. So um, we just have some audience questions, um, just three. So I imagine we can get through them pretty quickly. Um, so um, this is from Ronaldo Sosa. This year, um, what most people uh, consider two of Powell and Pressburger's best films, like Narcissus and A Matter of Life and Death were eligible. Why do you think they were received so poorly by the Academy? Um, aside from Black Narcissus winning to um, color categories. Well, I think you do consider the fact that in the pre-Hamlet world and Hamlet won the following year, surprise best picture win, there was this resistance to awarding British productions with major prizes. You did have something like Brief Encounter getting a bunch of nominations, but it definitely wasn't like it is in today's world, where you look at most best picture lineups and you have the British nominee, which is something like Darkest Hour. It's a historical drama. It's a costume drama. Or it might even be a light comedy, as it was in the 1990s. That has definitely become a trend, where the Academy seems to be fond of rewarding at least one British film. And back then, they didn't want to do that. They wanted to really reward Hollywood productions. And so I think even though Deborah Carr would become a presence in Hollywood that year in The Hucksters, I think there still would have been resistance to rewarding the film too highly. Yeah, um, I can see all those points. And... There's definitely a nationalist point going on there. And um, this is from Owen Daly. Um, why gentlemen's agreement when it comes to films about anti-Semitism when Crossfire was right there? And who would you have uh, cast, who, who would you have hired so a remake of Crossfire could be more faithful to the queer narrative of the text? Also, why is Black Narcissus the most stunning film ever? <laughs> Well, I definitely agree with the last point in terms of the splendorous visuals in Black Narcissus. And I also think that uh, in terms of 1947, I do think they were really looking for a classy picture. And you have to mention the fact Crossfire that, was a B-movie yes, at the time. Crossfire was, it was lower budget. And Robert Mitchum, even though he had been nominated for an Academy Award in 1945, did have a reputation as a, a bad boy actor. He wasn't typically appearing in the sort of films that received award nominations. And so I believe at the time it was something of a surprise that did so well. And because it was a genre picture and not overtly a message film which gentlemen's agreement definitely was all of the production 
or no, all of the promotion related to the fact that this was a brave movie that was talking about a subject that nobody really wanted to touch. And so I think that was its main selling point. And <clears throat> with Crossfire, it was more of a general, hey, come to the movies, see Gloria Graham play a femme fatale. There wasn't a whole lot more going on in terms of the way it was sold. And so I think people might have even been slightly surprised going to, into the cinema to find out that it was a movie with a message. But then, as Owen points out, the issue is that they just substituted being a gay person for being a Jew and essentially equated homophobia with anti-Semitism. And the two are both horrible, horrible prejudices that need to be eradicated from society. But they are very different in terms of the ways in which people hate these two minority groups and the ways in which they're treated. And it is somewhat offensive to just imply, oh, well, they're in the same bucket and let's let's just pretend that all prejudices are the same. And it's not nearly as bad, but separate tables, which is much worse, where the issue with adapting that play into a film was that the David Niven character in the play was a gay man who had been caught having presumably consensual sexual encounters with other men. And that's what made him so controversial. And that is why the Gladys Cooper character didn't want him to come near her and her daughter. And so from a modern perspective, it's much easier to feel sympathy for the David Niven character, because obviously we are not homophobic and we completely understand why gay men are not dangerous in any way. And it's horrible for the Gladys Cooper character to weaponize homophobic sentiment to cause this man to basically lose everything. Whereas in the film adaptation, they decided, so gay people and people who molest young women in movie theaters are exactly the same, basically. And that's just a horrible moral equivalency to introduce because it's not the same at all. And so you watch it today and you go, well, yes, I can sort of understand why Gladys Cooper wouldn't want her emotionally sensitive young daughter to be near this man who has been convicted of sexually touching women without their permission or consent. And it just makes it very difficult to watch today. So I think at least Crossfire does a better job of integrating its themes or the issues that it's trying to tackle and doesn't offend people in the process, but it would still be good to have a version that actually tackles the homophobia that has always existed. And I think this is such an obvious answer, but perhaps a Todd Haynes film could be interesting, but then I sort of like him when he's making sensitive costume dramas. And so if it had to be a war setting, would we lose some of that some of the visual beauty of Haynes' films, but then I think he's such a genius that he could do something really special with it. Sorry, that was a long rambling speech. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, I guess I 
could go with Todd Haynes. He did make Dark Waters. Um, and he seems someone, he seems like he's well suited for this sort of material. But, um, so our last question, Frankie say get vaxxed. Um, can we talk about Rosalind Russell on Morning Becomes Electra and what a huge upset or losing to Loretta Young was and is? Mm. Yes, that's definitely the juiciest bit of gossip from this year's awards. And I do think it's fascinating that this isn't one that people who are not awards nerds are aware of, because I think the whole Judy Garland versus Grace Kelly awards upset people are very aware of those two icons and even if they haven't seen the country girl and most people haven't seen the country girl it's very easy to say oh well judy garland in one of her most famous performances facing off against this blonde movie star appearing in some movie that nobody has heard of so it's very easy to construct a narrative there whereas People are very aware of who Rosalind Russell is, but they probably haven't heard of or seen Morning Becomes Electra. And Loretta Young has sort of fallen into obscurity over the years. She's definitely not the most well-known movie star from this era. So people don't really talk about this race outside of award circles where it's well-known as this huge upset. And... I think that's sort of a shame because I do think it's a really fascinating case of somebody losing an award for reasons that can't be easily quantified. I still don't think that we can entirely understand why Russell didn't win out with Judy Garland. You have all of the issues to do with her making a lot of enemies within the studio system and being difficult to work with. And so that's sort of an easy explanation for why some people might not have voted for her, whereas Rosalind Russell seemingly well-liked. And again, it's notable that she and Young were very, very close friends. And so you have photographs of them after the ceremony, hugging. They both appear very happy. And so, again, I suppose that sort of hurts the narrative because it's not like there was some big rivalry between these two women. They were, by all accounts, very, very good friends. I believe Loretta Young had planned to give a, a laudatory speech towards her friend or a tribute at the Academy Awards after her death. And William Friedkin, who was organizing the ceremony that year, didn't want it to be sentimental and mushy, so refused Loretta Young's offer to do that, which is sort of a shame, but I think that is a sign of just how close the bond between these women were. So it's very difficult to point to this as a major drama from a modern perspective, but it's still fascinating that a movie as bonkers as Morning Becomes Electra was in the best actress race and was seen as a film that could win any actress the award. And I think you watch it today and it seems so strange and esoteric and it's difficult to imagine anybody showing up for it. And at the time, it was not a hit, which 
might have been the biggest factor in Russell losing. But then you look at The Farmer's Daughter, which is not awards fair, and it's difficult to see why Young was the one who won out, because you look at Dorothy Maguire in Gentleman's Agreement, where that seems like a far more awards-friendly performance. So it's really difficult to figure out why this happened. Yeah, that was that's a question I had in terms of, like, if Loretta Young was going to win this year, why wasn't it for the bishop's wife? That would have made more sense in a historical context and just in terms of the context of that year because that was the Best Picture nominee. And, and, even, and her role in The Farmer's Daughter doesn't really match any of the criteria that you would imagine that um, for Best Actress winners of that time. It's so strange to me just thinking about it. At least I, I suppose I could say I admire the Academy for going out of her wheelhouse. Um, <laughs> I end up assuming that it was actually quite a tight race between all five nominees and Loretta Young won out by a, a small amount of votes because just the surprise in the auditorium on the night and the fact that it was such an unconventional role for an actress to win for. I just can't imagine this being the beloved dark horse performance that comes through and wins because it had a couple of very passionate fans. I just can't see it being that way. So I have to assume that Joan Crawford gobbled up some votes for Possessed and that depleted Ros Russell's vote count. And then there were just a lot of friends of Loretta Young because I know she was very popular in Hollywood and she had worked for a long, long time. She was a child star after all. And so over the years, she must have gotten to know so many people. And if they were friends of hers or fans of hers, perhaps they would have felt an obligation to vote for her. Yeah, I can see all those points. So... With all that said, thank you, Zita, for agreeing to appear on this podcast. I had a really fun time just talking about all these movies and some fun trivia about this year. So, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. I apologize for the fact that I was so inarticulate throughout forgetting how to employ the English language. But, oh, well, I think I got some of my ideas across and, again, had a great time. So thank you so much for inviting me on. So um, how can we find you on social media and your podcast? Yes. So I personally am on Twitter at Zeta underscore short, but I also host a podcast called the 300 Passions podcast, which Gabe has been a guest on for an episode on As Good As It Gets, and we cover romantic films, so from all eras, really, and American, to be fair, we're not covering foreign films, but there's just a wide range of films that I've had the wonderful opportunity to discuss with many guests, and it's really fun to listen to. So we're on Anchor and a bunch of other podcast streaming platforms, and also on Twitter at 300 Passions, I believe. So please look it up and listen to it. And yeah, it's great. 
Great. So, um, uh, this podcast has a Twitter account at Alternate Oscars. Shouldn't be that hard to find. I'm on Twitter at Gabe the Joker with two underscores. Um, I, uh, I'm on Instagram at Gabe Guarin with a single underscore. That's my name. Um, I'm on Letterboxd at Mr. Hulo. And, and I think that's all. So be sure to rate and review this podcast for visibility's sake. Subscribe, um, through whatever server you typically use. Oh, and um, this podcast also has a Patreon page, so be sure to follow that. I'll post it. I'll post a link in the in the description below. And until the next episode, sit back and relax. Cheers and enjoy. And thank you for listening to the alternate Oscars.